what's it like crossing the threshold and deciding to make a feature film in Adelaide? Making a feature film in Adelaide was not a thing that we'd done before. So we weren't sure where to go and who to talk to. We knew that the South Australian Film Corp was um, a body, but we'd only done one feature film before. And... Um, that was in Brisbane. Yeah, to work with them, you need to have had two feature films picked up by sort of festivals or shown in cinemas or whatever. We have that now, so we can approach them now. And I was talking to a producer last night at the show that is going to be a good contact for that. Uh, but we just started out um, as a music studio who had worked in film before, and Colin was finding it a little difficult because he's more into the film side of things. So I said, right, it's about time we... Um, got back into a film. It had been eight, nine years. And so Colin started working on um, small short films to meet people um, who were working in the industry locally, independents. And we slowly put a, he slowly put a crew together as a producer from people that he'd met on other sets. Yep. So ha- Hand Grenade is a, is a low-budget uh, movie. Yeah. Uh, how do you get it across the line? Because, I mean, everyone wants to make a movie, but... Almost nobody does. So how do you uh, go from script stage to shooting and, and editing and then showing in a cinema? Um, you just got to have perseverance and make sure that it's something you really want to do. A lot. I'm sure there are a lot of films that don't quite make it. And also prepared to do because there's a, an incredible amount of work involved in it. Because yeah. when you do a feature film, it is it is much more complex than a than a short film. It's disproportionately more involved and basically Paul and I have both spent the last year or more um, doing all the work involved and typically getting five to six hours sleep a night. Ah yeah but you know that you expect that you know that for for a whole year so it's just ridiculous (laughs) but the the pleasure that you get from it for me, is so much more than a short. Unfortunately, you can't do too much with shorts. You can put them in film festivals, but it doesn't quite get the the attention that a feature film gets. Yeah, it's a bit like a a short a short story as opposed to a novel. I guess mm-hmm. you know people don't really read short stories, but they can that they'll want to read a a novel. Absolutely. I think one of the things about um, completing a work is being adaptable. We, you've got to face a lot of problems along the way. If you can't roll with those punches, you'll, you'll <laughs> fail pretty quickly. So you've got to adapt, and sometimes in the moment. We had some, um, some of the crew who didn't work out immediately and asked to leave, some of the high, high-ranking crew who who'd said, I'm just not in this, I can't do it. And within one afternoon, we lost our first DOP and had assigned someone else from the crew as, crew as DOP, which worked out brilliantly for us. But it was a matter of discussing it, open communication, and adapting in the moment with those kinds of things. With, I mean, if you're paying people, you obviously wouldn't have those problems. But when you're asking people to do it voluntarily um, for the passion of it, they don't always see it through. So, yeah. Before, before we go on, uh, could you tell us what Hand Grenade is? It's a feature film, man. Didn't you listen? <laughs> <laughs> it's about a family of um, a brother and sister and their 
um, same-sex partners who as a group decide that they want to have a child, bring a child into the fold. So the two older um, best friends, um, not the brother and sister, uh, going through IVF program to have a child. Um, when the gentleman, the older gentleman of the, the group, he's what, supposed to be 38, 40, um, finds that he has a long lost daughter from a, a relate, previous relationship that he never knew about. Um, that young woman's mother has died and left her a note post posthumously um, through her priest that says, you actually do have a father and it's about time you found out and I didn't want you to know about him because he's gay. I found out he was gay and he did, well, he didn't know. But then the daughter comes along and starts um, ruffling feathers. <laughs> so it's, a, it's an ensemble drama. Yes. Uh, and you've actually filmed it in your own house. I, I don't want to spoil the magic of cinema, <laughs> but, but where we are sitting right now is where you've, you've filmed the story. Yeah. That's quite classical in um, uh, independent cinema. John Cassavetes would mortgage his house and then film the films in his house with his, uh, mm. w w with his uh, wife. C can you tell me about your low-budget methodology? Because, uh, again, not many people actually get films made. There's a lot of film talking, but yeah. there's not a lot of uh, filmmaking. So you guys have obviously come up with your own methodology to, to make your second feature. Uh, what was that? Well, the, the, the problem was, what do you do about equipment? And I, in, in the first feature film, I did the calculations. Unfortunately, I'm, I've got accounting training. And I found that it was cheaper to buy the equipment and sell it afterwards rather than hiring the stuff. So we bought the equipment and you, know, you can get stuff incredibly cheaply on eBay. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the way to go there. I must admit, when it came to finding cast, because we'd had previous experience doing features and... The lead from our first feature went on to Neighbours, Home and Away, and a big TV series in America, um, The Tomorrow People and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as well as a feature film over there. He was very well known, uh, that's Luke Mitchell, in the, um, in the uh, around the traps with the actors. So when they found out that we were looking to do another feature, uh, we got a lot of people applying to uh, uh, to audition. Yeah, we used him, <laughs> basically <laughs> used his name to promote um, getting a really good cast. Mm. For me, getting the the feature made was about starting at a grassroots level, knowing that we wanted to film in the house, finding um, writers that were were competent, and then zeroing in on one writer, which we did with Jen McQueen, and then nurturing that script through its whole pr um, production phase, writing phase. Um, I still meet with Jen every week. On a Monday morning, we go down, we have a write, script writing session, and we're workshopping another script now, but we workshop shop that script around the house um, with brainstorming ideas and coming up with f crazy plans which slowly adapt over time. And that script took us a year to bring together and then when we thought it was finally ready, we sent it to a, um, a script supervisor and a young woman called Ren Thackman answered the call and from Sydney. And she did a wonderful job ad adapting the script and sort of 
thinking about how the story was being told? I think it's incredibly important to get a script um, consultant in. Oh, yeah. It, um, it really worries me when people write a script and they don't have it checked by a, a, a skilled writer, another skilled writer, to make sure that they're on the right track. And, yeah, I, it's um, horrified me that a lot of people put a hell of a lot of effort into doing shorts, for, for example, and you're putting faith in a script that you might not have read. Um, and I think you owe it to the, uh, to the cast and the crew that you get in to not just write the script, but have it properly polished with help of an independent person. Uh, and certainly you wouldn't do that with, in the case of a feature film. Well, Mike, that's if you use a script, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Well, we, we did use a, a script for our second yeah. second film. Uh, um, what, what One question I want to ask is, uh, because it's a low-budget film, how much are you um, bypassing money from the process? Is it uh, like... Uh, are you are you paying everyone, or are you sort of carving up ownership of the film or deferred, uh-huh. or uh, how, how does how does it work? That's the director, the producer. I'm the producer, side of and I I paid for everything, so I bought the equipment and we I paid everyone. for all the food. Mm, that's it. Uh, They're happy to be all that. Now, obviously, well, not obviously, but it's regarded as a no budget film, mm-hmm. and therefore all the cast and crew. Uh, did it for the passion of filmmaking. F- fantastic. Uh, it's funny, uh, I've come across different attitudes in Adelaide. Uh, I believe uh, if you want to make a movie and you're not a millionaire, you, you've got to do it this way. Mm. But there is a perception uh, that it can be exploitation or um, unfair, but there's only so much money to go around. And It's on the job training. Yeah. That's and what it, it is. For actors... It's better than any showreel you, you, you could have is to actually be in a, a film that people are working so hard on. Mm. I mean, you're, you're ultimately giving them something as they're giving you something. Mm. And if you were exploiting people, you wouldn't get to make another film. What are we exploiting them for? Because there's no money in the outcome from, from making a feature film, not usually. So I can't well, see yeah. how it could be exploitative if we're not making any money from they, it. They say that 90% of, of feature films don't don't make money mm. uh, let alone shorts shorts I don't think have any real hope well I, 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 I say this only because I've encountered it look I've never paid anybody anything ever <laughs> um, so I just I, I, I think our, the film we just shot probably cost a few hundred bucks mm-hmm. really uh, I used the same old handy cam yeah. uh, we just we just went through it again uh, with what we learned the, the last time but there there is a perception uh, in some people that you will meet in the industry maybe it's a protectionist thing uh, that they're worried that if people start doing it for free or then you know professionals will lose their jobs i don't know but i, I don't um i don't agree with them um so i was just sort of sort of wondering about that because i, I felt the two times that we've shot a film and never paid anyone um well certainly the first time we we, we loved it and no mm. one argued or, or anything i think the second time uh was a bit harder because we had a script and we were very particular yeah. with complex camera movements and it was more technical 
technical problems and organizational ones because we weren't so free form. But money, um, when you when you bring money into the process and start paying a few people, that would upset things. Absolutely. Uh, yes, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, can't do that. I, I think that independent film is the birthplace of a lot of great people. The kudos or whatever comes out of these other films will help us push that little bit extra and get some funding that we can actually pay some people. I sure hope we can because it was, I found it a major financial burden footing the bill. Mm. And I tried methods of getting funding. It, the, we, the only thing that we had any sort of vague success with was Indiegogo. Mm. And we got about 5% of what the film cost us. So, which didn't go anywhere near covering mm. the cost of the food that we supplied. And we, we yeah. went to town on food for people. We did look after them. The, I think the good thing about the, the no-budget films is somehow people seem to really enjoy making them. Oh, yeah. Because mm. everyone's there for the passion of filmmaking. Mm. You make sure that the people are... Well, we've always made sure that the people are have some experience yeah having said that it is a huge commitment too so that word passion mm. you have to bloody have it the, the people with the right attitude and you know you know who they are yeah and they stick it through yeah. um now you had the the premiere the world premiere of the film last yeah. night as a packed cinema at the odeon a wonderful art deco cinema how'd it go oh he's Brilliant. I, it was intriguing seeing the people's reactions because there were only three people who'd actually seen the film before it was screened. And it's, it, they were the editor, the director, Paul, here, and myself, the, the producer. And a few pre-screenings to target audiences. That's true, but no one had seen the final to film. To the film. No, they hadn't. And I hadn't seen it with anyone else. So... Seeing the reactions of people in that cinema, something like 250 people, it was just amazing because I knew things were supposed to be funny, but I thought, oh, people aren't going to laugh, you know. <laughs> but I've, I've, the trouble is I've seen it right from before the script was finished. So, But it was great seeing the reactions and there were a couple of turning points in the film and... Wow, the reaction of the audience just really surprised me, and and yeah, just fantastic feeling getting that reaction from from the audience. Mm. And after all that work, it was really great to have a festival like Feast to take us on, and we just had to go along and enjoy the ride. Really, um, they organised the cinema, they organised the ticketing, they organised everything for the event. Um, they provided some champagne for it, which was really great of them. And they also provided some chairs and a microphone afterwards, and we had a Q&A, which the audience seemed to love. Mm. Yeah, I was surprised how many questions. We, we actually got some questions prepared in case no one was um, confident enough to stand up and ask questions. Mm. But, uh, gee, the hands shot up straight away. <laughs> Lots of questions. Uh, yeah, there were there were a few um, 
questions about the film itself. I mean, I, there were quite a bit of um, qu- quite a little bit of black space in in some of the between some of the shots, scenes and scenes, and um, that I I did that specifically to carry some musical themes and to let people ponder. Um, intellectually on the themes that they were considering because there's a lot of ways that c- they could be seen. And someone thought that we, um, I maybe was um, undervalue or underestimating the intelligence of the, uh, intelligence of the audience, which was totally not the way. But it was good to have that out there. It was good to be confronted with that. I, I think I remember the question, and I didn't understand it because uh, I thought all those uh, blacks um, and the use of music gave the film rhythm. Mm. Uh, and flow mm. and yeah it did give you time to to think and, mm. and uh, so all right so you had a, a packed screening of the film yeah. I must ask the absolute cliche of uh, where to now how are people gonna see this film well I've got to do some work finding it as distributor uh, yeah we are creating a DVD and a blu-ray of, of the film um, that will also have a behind-the-scenes documentary that was created by Sean Watts, who followed us around everywhere we went, pretty much. Um, there were plenty of outtakes. He put, yeah, he put together quite a, a lengthy film, which has been now cut down to about 20 minutes, which is reasonable for a DVD. We have deleted scenes, which um, expand the story and take it in different directions that weren't in the, in the final cut. There had to be a lot of deleted scenes because, frankly, the... the script was 100 pages long so so conventional thinking is that well that's 100 minutes but i was really surprised when we were filming it the delivery of most of the actors was a lot slower than i expected and rightly so and it was heading towards being a four-hour film (laughs) so there was a lot that had to be cut out in one way Uh, or another some beautiful scenes too some some scenes that we shot at the end that were just amazingly lit by um, Warren Luxford. Luxford, yeah, and Colin Pine, the DOP, they and the guys on the camera, James Wire and Justin Phyllis, were in the zone at that stage. And some of those most beautiful scenes and the acting was amazing on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> you what, know, what yeah. is it like to um, drown your children like that? Uh, it's mm. hard. It's hard. That's why, if you're partly writer and director, you don't edit the film. <laughs> that, see, that's the worry about a, a no-budget film. People are putting their effort into it. Uh, the the actors are expecting to see themselves on screen. So to cut them entirely out of the film is much more difficult with a no-budget film than with a paid film. Mm. Yeah, because so, in a way their reward is... yeah being in the film absolutely and unfortunately three of the actors did have lines but in the final edit they didn't actually have lines they they appeared on screen that just their lines had to be cut well i had workshopped the script to be quite dialogue driven and uh, i wanted that but ultimately you can't you know you just can't um, explain everything away you've got to have some mystic mystery in a film you've got to um, give the audience some mystery and some way to think differently about the film and so a lot of lines were cut um, well, but there's, there was one character in the film uh, yeah. uh, played by Martin McQueen yes. uh, from the photocopy shop now f- from my memory he didn't get a line in the film and yet I, I felt it was still quite 
powerful because he did have lines. Yeah. Oh, oh he, he did he have lines. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but they were but, cut. but they were cut. But but there's this uh, great moment where he he hands this box over. Yeah. You know, so the box you, of hand grenades. Right. <laughs> it, so that you told that part of the story just visually. Yeah. You know, with yes. him. So although he didn't get a line, there, there is an obsession with lines. Like uh, uh, just having cast a, and shot a film. Uh, some actors won't work if they don't get a line, and it's like yes, but you have a ver- you're in a very significant scene, and mm. we're telling the story visually. Um, yep. But if they don't get a line, they they don't want to be involved. Uh, look, I can understand that because um, the conventional thinking in Hollywood is, if you don't have a line, you don't get a credit at the end of the film. <laughs> screening was just an absolute dream to have have feast take it over and do it for us and then afterwards it was just a head fuck i was in a a whole world of what the fuck's going on i was confused i was a bit lost i was really happy and really sad at the same time it's an unusual place to be in um you have all these people in your face um they're saying wonderful film didn't like this really loved that and you're trying to take it all in you're trying to make your own mind up about um whether you liked the film in the screening and i i thought that i would never be able to see this the film for the first time and of course i really can't but sitting there between um the actors and the writer and the producer watching it on the big screen it was like watching it for the first time with the audience and uh, it's an amazing experience. Um, I did, hadn't expected that, really hadn't expected that. But I, I watched it as if it was a version film for me. The, the, the way you described the emotions um, and the fact that you're coming back to this house uh, seems to have a strange parallel to the film mm. because the film ends with very mixed emotions. <laughs> yeah. um, so even though you didn't write the original script, uh, as they say, there's three scripts there's the one you write there's the one you shoot and there's the one you edit mm. how much of yourselves uh, are in this picture for me personally there's a lot of a lot of incidents in my life that i discussed with genevieve as as she was writing it we contorted the story in the writing process and really twisted it around and talked about all parts of our lives during filming as well i had to go back to genevieve and say do you mind if i cut out this storyline it was the main reason she, one of the main reasons she wrote the script um, was about Joanne. Joanne's story was in the original script. Um, that's Jazz's mother. Um, and um, I had to cut that storyline because it was, it was a sad, sad tale on top of another crazy tale. Um, so, oh, sorry, I'm a bit lost now. Emotional, no, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm emotional wreck. Because we're only a day, this is the next day after that screening, and I'm still coming to terms with, with the whole process of that. Is, is it almost a shock to have such a successful screening? Is, it, <laughs> yeah. is, is that almost like you can't deal with praise? Is that partly what it is? I don't think I really am cut out to put myself up front anymore. I mean, I, I've done it a lot in my life as a singer, and um, I've acted in some things as well. Um, 
but I don't think I'm the person that pushes myself to the front anymore. I like that behind the scenes kind of thing and last night was right out there in the limelight and I was unexpectedly really confronted by it. You've made two feature films now mm. and you've made other shorts and, and mm. things. What is the simplest advice uh, that you can give to people that are thinking about doing a feature film and they want to do it uh, but they haven't quite um, crossed that threshold into saying into into committing to do it? What, what is it, just the, some of the hardcore fundamentals? It would, first of all, you've got to decide whether it's going to be a no-budget film or, or whether you're going to find funding for it. Let's say it's a, a no-budget film. Yep. Yeah. Let, let's say you've got no credits, you've got no pathway to, say, government funding, and, and, and you, you, you can't convince anyone for private funding. With a mm. zero-budget methodology, what are the fundamentals? Be adaptable. Um, make sure you have a lot of crew available that you can call upon because not everyone will be able to be there. That's the trouble with a no-budget film because you're relying on people who've got their day jobs. Yeah. And for some, you're typically uh, getting, uh, filming on weekends. And so you as the producer, for instance, have got a lot of work to do during the week to get ready for the next weekend of production. And you're going to find that people will have, perhaps they have work that they've got to do, uh, their job, or Perhaps they've got social things, you know, someone's wedding or whatever. And because they're not being paid by you, the other things are going to take uh, take precedence. So, mm. so, so what is you've that? You've got is that to a... have a, effectively a roster of people. Oh, scheduling. Yeah. More, than, more than one person for each, for each job. Mm. I was just going to get to that. Uh, uh, so that's like a, a bit of a ske- scheduling riddle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we were shooting over three months of weekends. And some, we, we, scheduled, we scheduled for Friday, Saturdays and Sundays. And that was very intense in the early days of it. But we had um, all the actors and all the crew, um, we had spreadsheets for all of them of when they were and weren't available. So we were able to schedule scenes with and without actors that were and weren't available. Um, there are some scenes where everyone's on set. So we grab the time where we just look along our, our calendar and... And that helps you with scheduling, actually. It really is a help, knowing um, what people can and can't do. It's funny, sometimes you get people who are there every single time. Oh. There were some people who were absolutely there every time. So committed filming. and so in, in it with us. Then you get some people who, they phone up on the day to say, oh, I can't make it. And, wow, that's really frustrating. But what can you do? You're not paying them. Mm. But you've got to have a backup. That's the trouble. You've got to have a backup plan. You've got to catastrophize, expect the worst to happen. Because <laughs> uh, it does. Yeah. Was your other film shot with the same uh, over three months on weekends? Is it, was yes. That, yes, yeah, exactly. yes, it was. We followed the same format, in fact, and it worked for us. It really did. Because I methodology we use is, is cramming it all in a month. Yeah, it's um, one way of doing it. Yeah, uh, which the, the trick is if you work with young people, they're usually students and you just pick where their holidays are. Mm, mm. Um, but I was just wondering about that process because that's quite drawn out mm. uh, compared to what I've experienced. D- does that dissipate any energy? Does that anything suffer in that, um, that way? It, both. 
Um, you've got hairstyles that change, of course, so you've yeah, got to be on top of that. Got to watch the actors. You've, you've got to um, you've got to be prepared for people to get better and better, and for families to form. And over time, you get close with those people. You know them inside out. And I think by the end of end of shooting, or halfway through the shooting, in fact, the crew, Colin Pine, James Wire, and Justin Phyllis, were in my head. We had a, a we had a routine worked out, and they were there every every step of the way. I would. Um, this is how my week went. On a Sunday, I would compile the footage, or on a Monday, I would compile the footage we'd shot on the weekend, and make sure we had everything ready. On a Tuesday, I would go through all the scheduling, see what what we had to do, and um, inform the actors, find out if they were still available inform everyone that they were going to be coming in for rehearsals Wednesday night or Thursday night and juggling that what went for what who was available we'd block the scenes and luckily we were on set so I was making sets as well as we went and dressing them as we went um, block the scene and take photographs and put together photographic um, storyboards. storyboards for the camera crew so they knew what shots I wanted ahead of time so when they came in on a I would send them off to them as well so they could be reviewing those and we'd make any changes on the Friday. And um, By Friday night, if we were shooting Friday night, they would come in, they would know exactly what we were going to do. I would have the sets ready to go. The actors were all ready to go. Um, they would come in, have exactly the right lenses ready, the cameras ready, the track, the dolly track would be ready, um, lighting. And Warren Luxford was amazing when he finally came on set. He would come in and adapt on the on the fly as well um, because you have to change things in in the moment as well actually can i ask you about that you said uh, one of the important things is uh, being adaptable yeah yeah. and 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 then we moved on but that can mean a lot of things so what sort of things do you have to adapt to i am going to talk about one particular scene where we um we're going to film the 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 family walking back from the dance awards along the streets of port adelaide back to the house um and the day of shooting that, it was all um, photo, photographed and storyboarded and ready to go. It was pouring down, bucketing down. Torrential. So we, as a group, we sat in, in the girls' bedroom upstairs and we brainstormed, the actors as well, we brainstormed, how are we going to do this? And we knew we had to make it work. We couldn't go outside. We didn't want to take the equipment out in the rain. So we decided to do it on the veranda, and you saw the result. Um, no one was prepared for that. It was a beautiful scene, and it just worked. You've got to adapt and make things work around weather, especially. So it's uh, are there other examples? Because uh, what works on the page doesn't always work in reality. Yes. It, sometimes visually things don't work. It's just that for whatever reason. Yep. There was another scene where Actually, I... Actually, I just remembered yeah. that, that scene. I actually went and got... Uh, uh, license, what's it called? Permit. From yeah, we got permits to be on the street to, and everything. To be on the that. street. And Never used well, it. Yeah, didn't use it. <laughs> um, there are other things where you've got um, setups where the actors just are losing their mojo. You, you, they're sitting in uncomfortable positions for a long period of time, and so as a director, you've got to think this isn't working. This, so you you just start from scratch and you say okay let's try it something completely different so we're going to pull back and do a wide shot 
and say the camera crew okay wide shot right what angle where are we going to go you just on the fly say let's do it from this shot it works for the background it works for this um and it works for the entry and exit points for the actors and then you they know their lines and you just quickly do a blocking and then set them let them go to it sometimes it's a great result sometimes again you have to think all right we've tried that let's go back to what we tried before and then it will work one thing that we tried to do was rehearse the actors as much as possible Mm. beforehand so that they became comfortable with what they were doing they were they could polish their performances instead of wasting crew's time on the weekends going to film because that's that's frustrating for the crew when actors are fluffing their lines or they're not Hmm. sure what they should be doing rehearsal and lots of it is really going to help everyone's sanity i was actually shocked uh, during the q a that uh, kale was uh, nothing like his character uh, <laughs> i just thought you'd more or less captured life like like someone's character but he no. he actually uh, appears and you know his ma- mannerisms are very different yes i wanted him on a kayak when i knew he was a surfer i said can you canoe or kayak and he said no i've never done it before he's just a surfer but he's not afraid of being on the water and I, I said, well, as part of your emotional journey here, you're, you're set adrift. You're lost. So I want to see you on a kayak in the water and, and it, in an early morning mm-hmm. scene. And he's just gone to L.A. and come, yeah. come back. And yeah. So is Melissa Martins. She's right. doing the same. So, so, you know, last time you discovered someone who, who's sort of gone on, uh, what's your feeling about this one? Ooh, I, you never know. But I think we've got a great ensemble cast. I think We're Aaron Broomhall has huge potential huge potential he's a great writer and i know that he is in currently in a production of a comedy show for stan and he's helping write that and um, produce that um, he'll also be acting in that um, i think crystal brock is a a wonderful stage act actor who has done a lot of work in adelaide and a lot of people know her she has done a little bit of screen but um she just gave wonderful performances and she felt that um, this film opened her up a lot as well. Um, we had a, a great relationship through the film and we really connected and um, it changed both of us, our relationship. Melissa Martins is um, a promoter of healthy lifestyle as a vegan as well um, and she is a zany character. And she was quite a dominant, dominant force to be reckoned with in this film. <laughs> um, that was totally not her personality. Um, Michaela Lynch, what can I say? <laughs> she, for me, stole a lot of the, the scenes that she was in. She, um, she reminded me of my son, um, who, Michael. And um, he was also a redhead. He's passed away now. When I saw her and she came into to audition, she stole my heart straight away. She's a she's a, a raunchy, strong woman just out of film school, um, acting, and she this was her first post um, Flinders University project. She was amazing. She's an amazing actor. Um, Kyle Brock, he's he he's um, was in. Um, Totally wild. He was a totally wild presenter. He was really scared of this. He was scared that he'd be typecast. He was scared of 
everything he did in the film, but he let go. When we first auditioned Kale, he wasn't the best, best person that we auditioned, but we called him back because there was something about him and he worked hard. He really worked hard to make it work and you could see it. He was clearly enthusiastic. Oh, the, the second time he came back, there was such a transformation. He'd absorbed the character and um, there was a playoff between two actors for that role. And right up to the end, we weren't sure who it was going to be. And um, unfortunately for the other guy, who was wonderful as well, we chose Kale. And I think that was partly because of the Brocks, the Brock similarities, the, the hair colour and the face shape and the, the name even. They, they just worked as a, as a um, brother-sister team. <laughs> Well, I'd like to introduce um, one of our lead cast members who um, has become part of Dale Street Studios pretty much for, uh, uh, from this meeting. And he's, um, uh, that's Aaron Broomhall, who played Dean Campbell in the, the film Hand Grenade. Hi, guys. Hi. What was it like working on Hand Grenade? I, I'm trying to find something that doesn't sound like a cliche because it mm -hmm. was a dream. Yeah. It really was. Um, it's my first major production in which I had such a large role. Uh, my first major production in which I was able to trust a director so wholly, um, to, to trust in my fellow actors so well. Um, just the environment and the, the, the people that we had on set, it was, <laughs> it was ideal. And I, I had so much fun just producing this. Not, not producing this, this was... Colin being the producer, but, you know, producing my work for this. Um, and I think I will have memories that will last basically forever. Mm. Well, one thing that, that, that strikes me about uh, uh, the, the two male leads is uh, how different uh, you are in real life. But I assumed watching the film, that's how you were. <laughs> I cast people to be more or less like themselves. Mm. I'm the shortest distance for me to be... Um, you, you know, you have a DP and a camera operator. Mm. I don't even, I don't have either of those. I just, mm. I just do it. Um, so I'm trying to be really immediate, but you've, you've constructed something, an illusion and it's worked. Mm. Um, so what, you know, what is it like in inhabiting a character like that? Do you create it? Is it a collaboration with Paul, with the script? And I had the influence of Jen's writing of where she wanted the character to go. I had Paul's interpretation of the character and then I had what I read into the character based on my experience and how close or how far away certain aspects of myself were from Dean Campbell himself. And I've said it to other people that I feel like Dean is a version of me who is obviously you know, a little bit older, but he's he hasn't learned some of the lessons that I have learned throughout my life. And so part of inhabiting his character was I would rewind myself back to before I learnt those lessons and I would picture that version of myself in the future and thinking, what mistakes would I be making? What things would I have my head in the, buried in the sand over? Um, <laughs> how much of, um, of, a, uh, of a sanctimonious prick could I actually be? That kind of thing. And Aaron, I just wanted to explore that. Do you think that actors are actors because they want to inhabit different minds? 
they want to project different sides of not themselves, but explore other ways of being? Uh, that could be a, a valid interpretation for some actors, mm. but also for others, maybe it's that um, they don't find enough scope within their own personality to express their true self. And so it's this temptation of, ha, huh, I have these other facets now that I can inhabit and I can either be more of myself to the world or I can create something completely new and unique and just have an absolute blast with it and tell a real story. There was a beautiful scene of the women after they've had their dinner, first dinner scene, they go, they go, the family go to bed and the women are getting ready for bed and there's a, a lovemaking scene in there. And that started out a very different scene. Um, that started out very dialogue driven. Very first day, first day of shooting. Sh- yeah, shot on the first day. <laughs> Lighting not, was not crap. a good, uh, not a good uh, thing to have those intimate scenes <laughs> no. on the first on um, the first few days. When it came to the end of the film, I realised that scene was not working. So I took that script and just put a red line through it. Um, chose the key phrases, the key things we wanted to show, and we wanted to show the intimacy of these two women. Um, and frankly, the, so we... They we were prepared then to do it, to um, yeah. go for that, and we shot a lot more than was actually seen. They really were in the part, and they surprised even me with and what frankly, they were prepared to do because it was asked for. Um, frankly, the lighting was better, and, ah, and oh, the yeah. shots were better. Yeah. Uh, so it was so well worth... Uh, refilming. We did that a couple of times. As we got to the towards the end, I I kept reviewing and reviewing and compiling every Monday, seeing whether the film was working. And I didn't have an editor at that stage. Now I would have an editor on board from the word go, doing that compiling and telling the story as it's going. Did you say there was a a, a bit of a kind of disaster early on with uh, some crew leaving? You know, yeah, some, some technical crew. We had a wonderful. Leaving. We had a wonderful guy. A wonderful DOP. Um, who came in and just couldn't complete. He, he, he couldn't connect. He couldn't connect with the piece of work, which is understandable. It just didn't work. And um, I respected him for that. He kept coming to me and saying, I, I'm just, this is not working for me. And um, Colin Pine was on set as a technical advisor at the time. And in that, I think it was the second weekend of shooting, Ben said, look, I, I really, he's a photographer and he's a, a wonderful photographer. And um, we thought that that would work, but it didn't work for him. And so he came to me and I said, look, that's okay, Ben. We can work We can work around this. And I called Colin into my little green room at the front of the house and said, um, Colin, would you be prepared to take this over? And he had a few stipulations, which was good. And I said, we're there for you, whatever you need. If you feel you can do this, I'd already learnt that he was really would have made a good DOP as well. Can you share those stipulations? Um, no, probably not. Right. Oh, he, he, oh, it's a long time ago. Yeah. I just remember that there were these these rules. He wanted to... Um, oh, he, he's, he said something about he had another film that he was going to, and if he was going to be called away, he would have to be called away, but luckily that didn't eventuate. We were lucky to have him through that. It apt, apt, happened towards the end of the film anyway. I think he pushed that aside because he got so into the film hmm. as well. Um, so we adapted. I was just about to say... That you, you, Both you, great, you... great potential DOPs. Um, one worked 
in that moment and one had to pull out. I, I definitely have a style. Um, How would you describe the style? Uh, I like colour. I, I want a visual feast. I like a cluttered set. I like a lot of um, close shots. I don't like wide shots. I avoid them. <laughs> um, you often start a, a shot with, with wide just in case you need it, but then you do your close-ups. I always end up with the close-ups. I love that. I love telling intimate relationship dramas about people falling apart and coming together. Um, I love the duality of two characters looking into each other's eyes. I love that intensity. I love people's eyes, so I come in very close as much as I can. Um, and I love to see them in full colour. I like. Um, I also like blueness. I love the blueness tone, blue tones in film. Um, but we used a bit of um, golden tone in this as well to reflect different feelings. I think in the in the majority of this house that we shot in here, it's all blue toned. But when we go to the foster home, where um, the wonderful Nick Buckland pl pl plays the um, foster father, um, very religious, I used golden tones in that. When it came to the end of filming, um, I was compiling. I realized at that stage, I was not going to be able to edit this film. And that was a mistake I made in the first film as well. Through a lot of, um, through a really hard time in my life, I edited the first film against my better judgment. It didn't pay off for me. I got to that point in this film and I thought, I can't do this. So I actually went to Colin and asked him, I need an editor. And we weren't communicating very well at that stage and it didn't happen for me. So I just thought, right, I need to find my own editor for this. Um, we had a gentleman on set, Alec Dorinda, who was doing our clapper uh, um, um, and logging. Yeah. And he was great at that. He had gone to um, a TAFE film, number of TAFE film courses. He was quite good at that. He's a, an absolute film fanatic. He understands film like no one I know. Well, except for you, of course. And um, he talks film 24-7. And I thought, hmm, maybe I'll ask him. And he just said, you betcha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he was right in there. And he took it and ran with it and brought the film to life. And I was amazed when I first saw his edit. Um, we, I, I came to him saying, look, I'll let you have your own edit and then you edit around my ideas. And we ended up going with his, his edit totally. I didn't even have a look in. Um, we refined it together after he what did his the, first what edit. What were the differences between the two? Um, he, he got rid of the dross. Even though they were beautiful scenes, he got rid of the stuff and turned it into that, what you're seeing now. He brought footage from the middle of the movie and took it to the start of the film and he replicated, he chopped scenes up and showed them. He gave it the story, storybook chapter um, feel. He, um, as a musician as well, he helped me think about the music. He actually laid down a soundtrack. He's a great guitarist. He laid down a soundtrack for the film. Unfortunately, I didn't use it, but he was so committed to every aspect of the post-production stage. Wonderful to have around. Bounced a lot of ideas off him during the filming as well. He, again, was one of those people that was so comedic, he kept everyone on set, in a different way, happy. It's the day after the screening, mm. 
all kinds of emotions are, are going through your heads. But you've already told me about three projects. Uh, but before we started rolling, obviously it didn't. It was hard work. You've cl- you've mm. climbed the mountain, but it hasn't killed you. Has it made you stronger? And what are the what are the next projects you're thinking about? While Colin was away, I asked him, "Do you want to make another film?" And he just said yes. So I thought, right, I'm grabbing it. I'm grabbing this uh, momentum while we've got it going. Um, I loved the process so much. I don't want it. Didn't want it to end. Nobody wanted it to end, really. But it does. And so I thought, right, get the ball rolling. I've got two really fantastic scripts um, that I'm supervising the writing of. One with Jen McQueen again, which <laughs> I just love working with her. And Aaron is right. Aaron Broomhall is writing a, another script. Um, both, uh, both science fiction based, both gay themed. Just, just before we uh, get into that, collaborators, mm. it's clearly the most important thing. You, mm. you, you could be given a hundred grand, but if you had to work with the wrong people, mm. uh, it, it could be a disaster. Yeah, uh, that, that was one of the problems when it came to funding. I was worried that if I did go getting money from someone like the um, uh, South Australian Film Corporation, that they would want to make it themselves. Of yeah. course, they'd get the script they'd want to make it. For us, it's we wanted to make it ourselves because we enjoy the actual process of filmmaking. Yeah, we weren't indebted well to anyone. We had we had were not given. It was only our own rules, pretty mm. much. Yeah, we we didn't have to live by anyone else's rules. And when you guys had that co- that short, what sounds like a short conversation, do you want to make another film? Yes, I do. It seems like you're wanting to almost overlap productions as 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 one is sort of uh, ending. You 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 want to start the seeds of the next one. Yes, I particularly don't enjoy post production. Um, I enjoy pre production and production. I my main thing is storytelling and working with people, the actors, the crew. I love that. I don't like being locked away in a room in front of a screen doing sound levels. I don't like it. I mean, that's my main job as an audio engineer. It has been for a long time, but I don't like that so much. I love working with music in that way, but not not film. I did it all. I ended up doing the sound design and the sound for the film, but I didn't want to. (laughs) I wanted to be on set. I wanted to be in that hothouse of no sleep and push to the edge and thinking on your feet and mm. adapting on the go and the, I, the the intensity the intensity yeah is what brings me to life 